0: Ah, the smell of perfect pizza. The carpet of wet leaves on the sidewalk. Ambulances and traffic running 24 seven. Intimidatingly fashionable outerwear. New York City is one of my favorite cities in the world and there's no better time to be there than the fall. I mean, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Come on. And how much more beautiful will all of our cities be when they're perfected in the love and the grace of God? But how shall they know about his grace unless someone tells them? What better place, what better time to come and refresh yourself on the art and craft of preaching than New York in November? Register now for Preaching in a Post-Christian Age. This is a three-day Living Church conference in the heart of Manhattan where you can enjoy world-class keynotes, conversations with experts, warm fellowship with other Christian leaders, and hone your skills as a preacher of God's word. And we might have dinner at a speakeasy, just saying. Tickets start at just 50 bucks. Find more information at livingchurch.org forward slash events or click the link in the show notes today.
1: Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover. Pull up a chair and let's dig in. You
2: ready to do this? You ready to jump in?
3: I am. And I also, I think, uh, you know, I think every, it's very pressing. And we happen to be recording like right on the cusp. So I think it's important that uh, we mention too that we are praying for everything going on in Israel and, uh, as Christians, uh, we pray, uh, as Psalm 122 asks us to, for the peace of Jerusalem. And so pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. And we pray that for um, all the people of that land. Yeah. And it's sort of crazy as I've been, I mean, October 7th was this um,
2: when Hamas uh, staged this invasion of Israel. And uh, since that day been, you know, whether it's morning prayer or whether it's preparing for Sunday, like all these readings, of course, in our yeah. scriptures are about these very places. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I, I can't help but think of uh, the millennia where this has been, this mm-hmm. land has been a conflicted place and it still isn't. So yeah, that yeah, prayer you just pa-
3: prayed is like a thousand years old. So, or more. Yeah, and being a pastor in New York, you know, I mean, I've, Lots of friends who are Jewish and, um, and, uh, have family that live there. And also, um, you know, as a Anglican and an Episcopalian, uh, a lot of friends who are uh, Palestinian as well, because there's a yeah. lot of, uh, Anglican, uh, Palestinians. So, yep. um, anyway, just praying for the whole situation and, um, yeah. And uh, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. So I want to encourage all Amen. of our listeners to continue to pray for that as well. And so, um, But uh, we come to our readings today, and our readings are from Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 7, Um, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, and our gospel reading is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. And so, uh, great readings, and uh, so uh, here we go. And uh, first of all, we just got to clarify that Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 7 is not about Donald Trump. So. Amen. And we're not trying to be partisan.
2: Uh, We got conservative, liberal, independent, uh, and people that are sort of a a potpourri of all those different things uh, Mm -hmm. as our listeners. But this is a passage. It's about Cyrus, who is a a Persian king, and so he's a Gentile. He's and God is um, using him to restore and rebuild the land of Israel, and so Mm -hmm. um, uh, after the exile and all that sort of stuff. So this is about this sort of non non-jewish non-kosher leader uh, doing good things for god's chosen people and so this analogy was used during the last two presidential elections to kind of mm-hmm. among some christian people to say like look here's an example of a non like cuz you know donald trump was um looked upon very favorably by some religious communities in the United States and other people said, well, he's not a very religious man and he said and done some things that maybe don't fit with that. And they'd say, yeah, but look at Cyrus and God has used Cyrus to to do good things for God's people before. It's one of those examples of whether you like or don't like Donald Trump or his policies, this passage has nothing to do with that. That's all we kind of want to say. Mm-hmm. So um, my my dispensationalist brothers and sisters, just uh, tread very carefully on this passage mm-hmm. and read it in its context, which is um, kind of, uh, yes, it's about this King Cyrus um, doing things for the people of Israel and God using this um, thing. But like, let's not forget, as St. Paul tells mm-hmm. us in the New Testament, every single ruler under heaven, every single ruler on the planet Earth, in some respects, has authority that's um, uh, been granted them by God if you want to use kind of the Pauline categories and Paul wrote that about um, not good pagan rulers in the Roman Empire uh, but basically God is sovereign over all things and ultimately in Jesus Christ he's the king of kings, lord of lords and the idea of a, of a political kingdom as being the thing that's going to make things great for God's people or not like that's not the hope of the New Testament that's not the hope mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ his kingdom is not of this earth as he said so um, what is this about then Jake? God telling Cyrus, I will give you treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places uh, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, who call you by name. Um, and then I call you, though you do not know me, and I am the Lord. Um, uh, and uh, I arm you, though you don't know me. It's this. It's God reaching out to somebody who doesn't know him and saying, I'm going to use him. What, what, if there was something to preach about this, what would you say?
3: That's very powerful. And you're absolutely right. You got to hold this uh, in the context of the prophet Isaiah. And so um, if you remember, um, basically, um, the prophet Isaiah and all of the prophets had been saying that um, God is going to judge Israel and Judah for their sins. They have not been faithful to the covenant. They have been faithless. But beginning in chapter 40... um, Uh, God uh, in Isaiah, God begins to hold out a sense of hope to Israel um, that uh, he's going to comfort them and he's going to save them. And so like in Isaiah 40, he speaks of a shepherd who will come and feed his flock. And in um, 42, he speaks of a a servant who will bring justice to the nations. And in 43, he promises restoration of Israel and uh, 44, his blessing on Israel. And now it comes to 45. And uh, he says that, um, He's going to uh, save Israel, but uh, from a place that they would never expect. And so, in five thirty-nine, after um, after Babylon fell, uh, Cyrus of Persia takes over, and his policies are completely different. And what he did was, is he um, he uh, kind of um, because there's so many like um, political things going on. Essentially, uh, Cyrus wanted to get the favor of his subjects, uh, from so he allowed people to go back to their conquered lands. And retain their cultures and their traditions, and so this is one of the reasons why the Jewish um, exiles are allowed to return. And God is actually saying, "I'm the one who's orchestrating through history to make this happen, and I'm not doing this to bless Cyrus because I'm a good, uh, because he's a good guy. But I'm doing this. I'm essentially anointing him as a Messiah and giving him these treasures, uh, not because he's a good guy, but because I'm faithful to you." And uh, this is the very, I'm faithful to Israel, and I'm faithful to the covenants that they have been faithless to. And so this is a big thing. Um, uh, And uh, this is the very, this I think is the powerful thing of the whole passage is that God actually operates Um, Oftentimes in ways we'd never expect, um, but he operates in ways we also would like never want to look. And here he is operating through a pagan king, essentially anointing him as the Messiah in order uh, that um, not only um, to demonstrate his faithfulness to Israel, but ultimately for the salvation of the world and so, um, you know, God works in dark places, uh, like ultimately the cross. And in a king, no one ever expected Jesus Christ, not only for the salvation and faithfulness to his covenant, is, to covenants with Israel, but his faithfulness and his covenant consequently with the entire world.
2: Yeah. And I think that's so important, Jake. Like your interpretation does such a good job of avoiding the the trap, uh, which is the mm-hmm. temptation of so many preachers to try to map current events onto Old Testament passages or New Testament passages mm-hmm. um, and say, like, this is a fulfillment of this ancient prophecy, whatever. Like, I can read the newspaper and I can see the secret hidden messages and and all that sort of stuff, which, again, Jesus Christ is not really interested in political kingdoms. He's not interested in earthly kingdoms. Uh, Israel, from a New Testament perspective, is not, a, is not a nation state. It is the people of God. Um, mm-hmm. both the um, the first olive tree and then the ones that are grafted into it. Uh, yep. And so um, this passage is not an invitation of the preacher to make a comment about political statements um, unless it's the futility of fo- political solutions to human problems, um, ultimately speaking. Uh, and um, m- again, like this is persia is iran like the the, you know who's currently involved in like it's just you know just avoid all that stuff in a sense and say like this is about how god works for god's people and how in the place you don't think god can work um like a king and that's never. usually where I'm he's like, working, that's usually where he's working. so make it yeah, so uh, there's a there's a profound theological statement here I form God says I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe um this is like you know Bible language I think a little bit about um uh, the the character and uh, Pulp fiction, who's sort of like, and you'll know that my name is the Lord. Like, and that's actually not a Bible verse; it's kind of made up, but it sounds like that kind of Bible language. And that this is a I form light and create darkness, and it's a statement about God's ability to work in the parts of your life that are sunshine and rainbow, and the parts of your life that are, um, you know, rehab and bankruptcy. Like, God can work in all places of your life, and God can work on a cross outside Jerusalem uh, mm. on Calvary, and so that's that's kind of what that is about. Mm. Well. And that then that'll be a cheer. That'll be a really cheery sermon if you preach that. So yeah, definitely, absolutely. definitely do that. Um, but actually, it will be bring comfort to people because people mm. live in dark places. Um, mm. Yeah, First Thessalonians chapter one. This begins a five week series for you preachers. If you want to dive into the book of First Thessalonians, have I got a deal for you? This is going to be the next five Sundays, except for um, All Saints, which is on November first. And if you move the All Saints readings to November fifth, then you would miss this First Thessalonians reading. But if you stick to the propers for all these. Sundays, uh, or uh, you you get this great little preaching series. This is one of the first, chronologically one of the earliest texts written that mm-hmm. we find its way in the New Testament. Um, so this is Paul writing in the you know 40s or 50s uh, to this very early Christian community in the Greek city of Thessalonica, um, and it's um, it's dealing with. People who are who are living in the times when the original apostles are still alive, they were waiting for Jesus to come back sort of, you know, in the next five minutes, they, they saw the ascension of Christ as him going out to get a gallon of milk, and he's going to be back any minute. Um, but what has happened in the church in Thessalonica is that people have begun to die before Jesus' return. They're suffering. Um, there's confusion about sort of what is this Christian hope if we're not going to be Um, if the creation, the new heaven and new earth and the return of the Lord is not going to happen right now, um, what do we do while we wait? And so uh, this is Paul kind of setting the stage for that, as he does in all his letters, beginning with um, really just uh, kind of encouraging words for the people. We thank God for you. Mm -hmm. We pray for you all the time. We've heard of how great you are, your faith and your love and your steadfastness, um, and that God has chosen you. And, And so this is Um, and he talks about, you know, how he met them and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot here, um, that you could talk about. Um, if I were to preach on this passage, um, I would uh, say one or two things. One is that God is that you're beloved by God and that he's chosen you. And these are, these are, um, mostly Greek people, some, um, Hellenized or sort of Greek-ish Jews, um, and uh but he he says god has chosen you and your beloved and these are people that were not looking for a change they weren't looking that this this kind of the message of the gospel and the fact that Jesus of Nazareth this first century peasant is the savior of the world would have been as surprising to them as it is to anybody today, um, maybe even more so. And so, but God has chosen them. And this is where, where Paul begins his letter. God has chosen you, your beloved. Um, and so I think there's a lot there that I could talk about, but also how God works then through this community, that the word of the Lord has sent forth from you, not only Macedonia and Achaia, uh, but in every place. So like, um, when God transforms you from serving idols to serving a living and true God, which is what he says that this, this, um, this begins to work on you from the inside out and you begin to look different. So that, that's where, that's where I would go. Jake, would you, um, add some sprinkles to that or, or, uh, yeah, absolutely. or a complete, completely mean, different,
3: uh, t- no, right? I would just add a few sprinkles, a little, you know, a little, a little spice it up, but no, some just parsley. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I love this, uh, you know, um, Remember, uh, this is a new church and they've come back to it. And he's uh, speaking to them and uh, uh, talking about their faith. So something has happened to these people. Uh, they have been uh, genuinely converted. And, um, and this is never underestimate the power of preaching. And this is why um, working on your sermons are very important. Um, Because uh, something has happened to these people. They've reached a place where they can rest their entire life upon the gospel. He says, for we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God. And that word is there like um, agape by God. They are, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. And this is why the way, um, uh, you know, it's, it's the content of the message that these people felt like they could place their whole life on. And what is the content of the message? That God loves them with an agape kind of love and that um, he has chosen them. And if he's chosen them, then there's nothing they can do to unchoose themselves. And, uh, and this um, really, um, it's come to them with real power, probably with signs and wonders, but something that has totally changed their heart. And now they are literally a witness to the whole world.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, this does begin again on that theme that I mentioned, just that Paul's going to deal with the suffering that the Thessalonians have, Mm -hmm. because he says, in spite of persecution, you receive the word with joy. Um, And I think that's just kind of an important thing to note, that that, um, Christians don't have this um easy road always uh yeah i was talking to somebody recently just um a, a member of the church who'd been through a really difficult experience and, and why did this happen and that's a normal thing to ask and um but kind of behind that there's almost this um this kind of subconscious belief that you don't really find out you have until you get until something bad happens that you sort of thought i love jesus and everything's going to be fine for me all the time um which is not true. There's obviously, if you look at the life of Christ, the life of Paul, the life of uh, anybody that that follows the Lord, um, uh, as, as uh, um, Mary hears, uh, a sword will pierce her own soul as well. Like, you know, it's everybody has suffering who's um, following the Lord. And so this is happening here for the Thessalonians as well. But again, uh, Paul says to them that even in spite of that, they received the word with joy. Um, so it's it's those those two things together in the life of the Christian. Um, and I think, so.
3: you know, and the real powerful thing is is that our witness uh, to um, God's faithfulness to us oftentimes appears as a waiting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, um, sometimes, you know, when I, I'm feeling uh, like uh, you know, when life is becoming hard, what happens to me is I uh, begin to turn to idols immediately and I get really anxious because they're not like speaking. And you see what the power of this preaching has done to his congregation. It's turned uh, you turn to God from idols. So they are putting their hope in God, which is enabling them to serve a living and true God. And what? and wait for his son from yeah, heaven we wait. whom he raised from the dead. And that is the powerful thing. We can wait with patience because God has raised Jesus from the dead. And uh, in raising Jesus from the dead, I love this. You know, a lot of people talk about being saved and you know, it's an old evangelical expression, um, but what are you saved from? You're not saved from, you know, um, you know, you're not saved from smoking and, and, and chewing and, you know, and doing, you know, and all these other things. You are saved, actually, on one level from God himself. And, uh, and so, and that is the good news of this passage is that they've turned from idols, gods that don't speak, uh, gods that simply reveal themselves in nature. And that is a God who's cruel and capricious. But the God who's been revealed in his son, Jesus is the one uh, who has been raised from the dead and uh, saves us from it as well, saves us from death and the wrath that is ultimately coming. And so uh, that's the good news. And so that's the power. You have a God who speaks, and that's when he speaks in his Son, he says, peace be with you. And uh, that comes with power, and it comes with the Holy Spirit, and it has the power to make all of our anxious souls just really be at rest and wait, even if it's just for a few minutes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And and I think, you know, one of the things to note in this passage, you turned
2: f- to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Thessalonica and really any, any city in the ancient world then would have been filled. These idols aren't like uh, hypothetical idols. Um, These are, you know, there's temples to Zeus and Athena and all these other deities all over the place, statues everywhere, and uh, people sacrificing animals to these deities. It was gritty. It was pretty gritty. It was pretty real. These days, it's a little bit more metaphorical, but um, I think it is just a a point to note that this is a living and true God um, Mm. versus things that that
3: promise life, but really only give death. So, all right. Well, then we come to uh, this very powerful passage from uh, Matthew. Uh, where uh, the Pharisees uh, begin to trick Jesus. And this is one of three questions they're going to throw at him. And it's a very important one, um, uh, you know, and uh, essentially, uh, and the question, it's its its a trick question because it's intended to trick Jesus. Uh, if he messes up on this question, he can be arrested and killed for insurrection. If he messes up on this question also, he can be arrested and killed for idolatry. And so um, it's a... Um, this isn't a real one. This is a. This is intended to trick, and that's uh, why they 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 ask it. And so they tell us, "What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?" And so uh, this uh, becomes the question. And I I think this is. I mean, it goes back to, uh, you know, it's it's. It's ho- Jesus is a Jesus is a tr- endorses the separation of church and state so but, <laughs> well yeah, so I don't know what, and and that's amen here
2: ended the lesson yeah now,
3: I, I think um, that could be your sermon that is so your sermon. You uh, the
2: um, the the thing that's going on here is uh, first in verse 16 you have lies. You have people just mm-hmm. buttering Jesus up with false flattery. We know you're you're sincere. Will you teach the God the way of God? Like, mm-hmm. they don't believe anything they're saying. And so, it's just, it's interesting. Um, I think there are people that sort of do this to the Lord today. Um, they speak one way to him, but really their hearts are in a different place. So, so they're, they're just buttering up and trying to soften him for how they're going to now attack him. Jesus doesn't fall for it for a second. But yeah, the question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And the issue here is... The emperor is Caesar. The emperor is this pagan king who is, um, you know, under sort of an understanding of uh, Jewish law and the Ten Commandments and all that. He's – I mean he's somebody who deserves death for his idolatry and all his other enormities and abominations and all these things. Um so, it's, it's almost a, a compromise of values and morals to pay taxes to the emperor, to give money to the emperor. Um, and to, the coins that used had the emperor's face on them. Uh, he was seen as a god, like the, the name of the coin said, the son of God, you know, Caesar, and so just the, everything felt like just blasphemy to them. You're not allowed to make graven images of anything and here's this coin with the head of the emperor on it. So, it's just dirty all the way around for a, for mm-hmm. a, a faithful Jewish person, uh, but if you say you should. Shouldn't pay taxes for all those reasons well, well now you're violating the law of the state and you're you know you're 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 setting yourself in opposition to caesar and caesar is a god he's a he's a politician but he's also a god and so you get killed so it is this catch 22 that they've set him up with
3: and jesus well, and, again yeah go ahead no it's just very powerful i mean they ask him literally point blank is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not and then, you know, he goes, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but he doesn't if you notice, he doesn't answer the question. Uh, the, he doesn't answer it the way he says, who's head?" And they like "Well, the emperors. And then he says he doesn't say pay taxes. He says, give, therefore, to the emperor, the things that are the emperors and to God, the things that are gods. He doesn't you know, he's not like he's not getting into the nitty gritty there. And uh, and uh, that is like the very powerful thing. Um He uh, doesn't get into the nitty gritty. He says, give back to Caesar what is his and what Caesar first gave them. So Jesus's reply is uncomplicated. It's to give it back. As long as Caesar's requirement extends only to money, comply with it willingly. Uh, What Jesus is teaching here on a big level is respect for the state. And so does St. Paul, for that matter, because God masks himself in the state and performs such a bunch of services for its citizens through the state. Respect for the government is an important form of respect for God. However, this is the thing, is that we oftentimes confuse the two. We confuse God with the state and the state with God. This is, I mean, and whenever this happens and the church gets in bed with the state, I guarantee you there's always one loser and it's never the state. It's always the church. So yeah. um, so this is the thing. Um, you got to keep the kingdoms distinct. And uh, the one thing we can continue to give God is, um, is our entire lives, Uh, and we can continue to lay them down. And uh, this really, I mean, I think this becomes helpful for us that when the state acts in a way and begins to play the role of God, that the church uh, then, when it understands this distinction between the church and the state, then we can actually speak power to authority and we can call the state to repentance as well. And so um, that's, I think, the important thing of when you render things to Caesar and you render things to God. You understand uh, that one is a function, a God functions through the state, but the state is not God itself.
2: Yeah, and this is a thing where the Pharisees, they wanted uh, a, a state of Israel with the Jewish king. They wanted to kind of go back to the times of King David and King Solomon and even to expand and build upon that. Um, and there's people that want the same thing today. And again, he's he's dealing with people who have two categories. Like or they have one category, there needs to be a nation state with the human political ruler. Um, and the question is, which is good and which is bad and which one do you want? It's It's... Two poles, two, two dual options, and you got to pick one and, you know, which is the good one and which is the bad one. you got to identify with one and, or identify with the other. It's very much like, you know, in the United States today, like there's these two sides and which do you pick and it's all about my identity or whatever. And Jesus blows all that up and says, wait, 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 you got to zoom out and pull back here and look at what is really the true reality uh, and all these human kingdoms, Caesar, are passing away. Like if you can comply with their laws, great. But really the main thing is your citizenship is in heaven and, and you give your life to God so that you don't have to get wrapped around the axle around your political identity. Um, because you are God's beloved and chosen by him, as we read in the uh, passage to the Thessalonians, um, uh, you don't have to be your identity is not your politics your identity is not your relationship to the state and so this is um i think ahead of the presidential election all these things a good word to christians um that your identity is in christ you are gods um your politics are important but secondary and they don't define who you are and if you ever find yourself getting like Angry and dehumanizing others who disagree with you politically, come back to Matthew twenty-two and yes. realize that your uh, your citizenship is in heaven, and uh, and you might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you, your question is like: Is it either or? Is it this or that? Is it the black or the white? Is it the good or the bad? Is it this party or that party? Like, whoa, 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 hold on, back up. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That does not define you. And give to God what is God's. And remember, everything is God. You are God's, and you're beloved by Him.
3: Yeah, I um. I think you're absolutely right. And I think to bring this full circle, you know, we were talking about, this isn't about Trump and Isaiah. Um, there is much in the church in America that it has an unhealthy and is way over attached itself to politics. Um, whether it's, um, you know, the progressive mainline like you and I find ourselves in or uh, the evangelical side of the world too, like non-denom and Baptist, like we have been, there's an unhealthy over attachment to political parties and our government, and uh, you know, and ultimately, I think when these things get um, convoluted, when Caesar and God get convoluted, um, uh, you know, and that somehow our leaders are like special friends with God and stuff like that, and either love it or leave it, um, that is that leads to totalitarianism, and that is why it's important to keep Caesar and the state separate. Um, uh, there's a great, uh, the, the Bremen dec- Declaration, and uh, um, the Bremen, these were the, the, these were the churches that disagreed with Nazism. Yeah, they said it best in one of their confessions, and they said, Although nations may serve God's purpose in history, the church, which identifies the sovereignty of any one nation or any one way of life with the cause of God, denotes the lordship of Christ and betrays its calling. Mm-hmm. and uh, that is the truth. We are separate from, we, we, we live in under the state, but we are separate from the state. We belong to a second kingdom, and that empowers us to speak truth to power when that state begins to think of itself as a god, and it enables us to serve it well when it's functioning properly. That's right. So,
2: I think, I think what you're saying is vote for RFK Jr. <laughs> Just kidding! Just <laughs> kidding, everybody! I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. All right. So I think we should, uh, we should end there. End,
3: end there.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for what it's worth, folks, I'm not voting for RK Jr. Just what? There. I no. know. I Cornell know. West all the way. That's right. So. That's right. Third party candidates for life. Okay, <laughs> let's end it. I think we're getting off the rails here. But hear, hear what we said, the good parts. And uh, if anything wasn't, let that go. But uh, remember, you're chosen by God and, and your identity is in Christ. We'll leave it Absolutely.
3: And all then, right. because of that, you can serve the state well. Mm, amen. All right. Well, all thanks right. Uh, for Peace listening, everybody.
2: Uh thanks for supporting Mockingbird. Go to our website if you'd like to give an end of your gift. We're getting to that third quarter. And again, keeping Dave's all happy. Um and uh and Keeps he likes us this, happy. He likes us really high-end bone broth too. So you gotta, you gotta help out with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. God bless you all, and we'll see you next week. Happy preaching.
1: Peace.